0: Hello and welcome to the American Journal of Perinatology podcast series. My name is Praveen Chandrasekharan and today we will be discussing the paper titled Neonatal Resuscitation and Post-Resuscitation Care of Infants Born to Mothers with Suspected or Confirmed COVID Infection. This manuscript was accepted on March 30th, 2020. I, along with Dr. Maximo Vento, Dr. Daniel Trevisanato, Dr. Elizabeth Partridge, Dr. Mark Underwood, Dr. Jean Widerman, Dr. Anup Kateria, and Dr. Satyan Lakshmi Narasimha have authored this manuscript. The first case of coronavirus of 2019, disease, COVID-19, caused by severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus 2, SARS-CoV-2, was first reported in November of 2019. As of today, World Health Organization reports approximately 1.2 million cases and 67,000 deaths. Pregnant women and newborn represent a vulnerable population, and it remains unclear if COVID-19 poses a serious threat to them. There are some disagreements among expert organizations on an optimal approach for perinatal management, secondary to availability of resources, and lot of uncertainties. The manuscript outlines an approach to resuscitation and post-resuscitation care of an infant born to a COVID-19 mother with multiple options. Today, I have with me three world-renowned neonatologists who are also experts in neonatal resuscitation. Dr. Lakshmin Rasima from United States, Dr. Max Vento from Spain, and Dr. Daniel Trevisanotto from Italy. Thank you for joining us to share your experience. Dr. Lakshmin Rassima, let me start off with you. Your illustrations are outstanding as usual, so please tell us more about the options for management presented in this paper.
1: Thank you, Praveen. As we all know, and as Praveen illustrated, there are close to 1.2 to 1.3 million cases of COVID-19 throughout the world. And the majority of the cases currently are coming from three countries, United States, Spain, and Italy. And this group of neonatologists, we represent these three countries, which have the highest burden right now. However, it has been a general conception that although the overall cases of coronavirus are increasing, this disease has not really affected children as severely as was expected with other viral diseases in the past. In fact, if you look at the population of the United States, 32% of the population is made up of infants, children, and adolescents less than 18 years of age. On the other hand, when you look at the number of cases of COVID-19, only 1.7% in the U.S or children less than 18 years of age. Although this is reassuring, it's concerning that among these children, infants less than one year of age represent a small proportion of them, but a significant number of them require hospitalization. And we are particularly concerned about pregnant mothers and newborn infants that are born to these mothers following positive COVID status. The American Academy of Pediatrics The section of neonatal and perinatal medicine on April 2nd, after the release of this paper, came up with some elegant guidelines to address this process and the right approach to these patients. In our paper, we have further expanded on these options and given the mother and the parents and the family three options of approach to various categories of management of these patients. These options are based on a primary fact that shared decision making should be done while engaging parents and considerable time should be spent prior to the delivery so that we know exactly what the parents want and also for us to be able to explain the risks and benefits of each of these approaches with the mother and the spouse. So these options, which are labeled in this paper as option A, B, and C, move from a scenario where mother takes complete precautions to minimize the risk of transmission to her newborn baby, leading on to option C, where the primary focus is mother-infant bonding, and precautions are taken to minimize the spread here as well. So the table outlines several approaches. Some of the salient features that are included in this table are primarily related to as to where the baby will be located, either in a separate room, cared by a non-infected medical professional or a nurse or a family member to a situation where the mother will wear a mask for source containment and does skin to skin contact and breastfeeds the baby. So this is a range of options that we have provided and we have been using this approach at UC Davis with a clear cut description of these three approaches and explaining the risk of transmission from the mother to the baby, both through horizontal transmission from family members and also healthcare workers, and having the mother and the physician make a shared decision.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that nice summary, uh, Dr. Lakshminar Sima. Dr. Vento... When we were writing yeah. this paper, you had mentioned about 25 preterm births secondary to COVID-19 infection in mother. Could you please share your experience with us? Okay.
2: We have now in, in, our, in our Spanish neonatal network, we have a national registry which collects all the, the cases of pregnant women who are symptomatic and or have positive results. I would say we have over 200 women, and the striking result is that we haven't seen a newborn infants with positive RCP, which is to, to coronavirus, the, the RNA. We haven't found any RNA in those babies in the first week of life. We have done serial determinations in these babies, and despite having mothers with positive analysis for the genome of the virus, we haven't found any babies. However, we have found babies that have been admitted at two to four weeks of postnatal age that were positive to coronavirus. They were positive and by horizontal transmission. So there was the ambience at home, the mother or father or other household people were positive, and they infected the baby. These babies appeared to us with a mild respiratory syndrome, with polypnea, with tachymnea, rapid respiratory rate. None of them had uh, hypoxemia. And they just evolved mostly like a, a transient tachymnea of the newborn, but not needing oxygen in most cases. I would say only a brief moments. There was some brief desaturation, but without bradycardia. So they evolved in in a couple of days, very, very good, and didn't need any further intensive care. So this is our experience with true patients. So our approach now is that any mother who arrives in the hospital and is suspicious of having a contact or has symptomatology of having infection, She is screened for the virus. She becomes a double screen. Once we do the RCP, a polymerase chain reaction for the virus, and we also analyze the antibodies to see IgM and IgG. In addition, we repeat this test several days after before having discharged the mother. In addition, once we get vaginal and rectal swabs, and we collect urine from the mother. And we do also collect cord blood from the baby to analyze the serums and see how the antibodies are getting along. And then we also get a rectal swab and a pharyngeal swab from the the baby. So these are the things that we are doing. And all this information is being collected in a national database that we hope to have sufficient numbers To have a true repository for studying the perinatal biology of this virus. In addition, our colleagues, the obstetricians, are collecting amniotic fluid and we are also collecting samples of the placenta. So we want to to study all the aspects that are related with the infection of the mother and the vertical transmission of the fetus. So my, my message would be that probably probably we are in a situation in which the virus needs the presence of receptors in specific cells in order to be able to invade the mature cells of the lung especially the pneumocytes type 2 if this receptor is not present probably the virus is not capable of causing any any intense it is going to, to cause a very uh, mild flu-like infection or even nothing, depending on the defenses of the baby. Even 25 and 26 weekers, very, very small uh, very, very young babies that we have had preterm babies, uh, twin deliveries, they haven't had any signs of infection and any signs of hematological changes or uh, serological changes. That's what I can say right at this point. We are also doing with some adult medicine specialists, some physiologists and internists. We are studying the ACE2 receptor expression at different ages from cord flight to people being 100 years old. We are studying the expression of this receptor and we want to see if it changes along the life and it has different expressions depending on the stage of life when you are studying it that could be my modest contribution to this podcast
0: thank you so much for sharing such valuable information these are great initiatives especially by spanish neural network and we hope we can learn more from the data that is being collected and also all the research work that you just mentioned dr trey when we were writing this paper you had mentioned that your hospital is a referral center and caters to close to 20 hospitals could you share your experience about handling referrals of confirmed or suspected covid-19
3: Yeah thank you for for invitation i'm happy to to share our experience Padova is in the in the veneto region that is the, very close to lombardy that was the region where in italy there was the first region in italy where the there was the problem a, a strong impact of the virus in the population. And immediately after Lombardy, the Veneto was interested from the spread of the virus. What I can say to you is that I, I am the coordinator of this transport and uh, or in, in addition of the region. But uh, really, we have more or less 10, 10 positive women out of uh, 3,000 deliveries. And so this is the incidence is uh, very low. And uh, all 10 newborns were negative in terms of swaps, in terms also of antibodies. And so, no, we, we didn't see the transmission perinatal in the, in the newborns. What we saw instead, not only in our region, but also in Italy, I know there are a few cases, not too much, but a few cases of poor discharge infection. And so... Some newborns went home, were discharged, and they stay with the mother who was positive, or the, or the father of some relatives. And they come back with mild symptoms, but they were positive. I, I know, for example, a story, because there's another very important point, is to to take care of the healthcare givers. For example, I know of a case where the mother was negative. The baby went home, was discharged, and after a few days, the baby showed some respiratory symptoms, mild respiratory symptoms. He came back. The mother was negative. The father was negative. The only person who was positive was the pediatrician who discharged the baby, who visited the baby. <laughs> <laughs> and so please don't care. Because we are thinking to the parents, but also healthcare dealers, so we are the, could be the cause of transmission. And what we do now is we test the mother and the father of our patient at arrival in our NICU, and we test also all the newborns. What we found with this policy, and so it is a more or less one month that every every week we test, we assess, we test with the nasopharyngeal swabs all the caregivers, and so doctors and nurses in the NICU and the parents also. And what we found was that four persons that were completely asymptomatic was, were found positive to the swabs. And so this person, of course, were put in, in quarantine. And so I don't know if it is important, but our experience to, to assess all the persons who enter in the NICU, and this policy allows us to, to detect Asymptomatic cases and I just to just to confirm what max Vento said we had one case of a baby of twenty five weeks the mother had in a severe respiratory distress and so we the obstetrician decided to to organize an elective emergencies better to say emergency cesarean section the mother was intubated she was in another CPAP before, and the baby however the baby was negative, and he went very well. He was estimated 24 hours of life, and he is in CPAP now, but he's going well, and no antibody, no swabs everywhere, rectal, nasal, pharyngeal, were positive.
0: And is the mother being allowed to care for the baby, Dr. Trevisanatov?
3: The baby was put in the negative pressure room, was isolated. One nurse was uh, dedicated to the care of this baby. But after 15 days, this baby was put in the normal room because after three negative tests, the baby, the baby was put in the normal room.
0: Thank you so much for sharing those valuable experiences with us. Since you brought up testing policy in your hospital, Dr. Vento had brought up an interesting point when we were writing the manuscript. So, Dr. Vento, can you please explain about the difference three employed primer versus nine primers and its effect on the false negatives yeah of
2: course yeah when we are performing the rt pcr the polymerase chain reaction reverse transcript polymerase chain reaction what we are doing is that we are putting some primers into the solution in which so we can attach the rna of the virus by the primers can be attached to a cdna And once we have done the transcription, then we can go into the thermocycler and produce sufficient number of RNA of the virus in order to do the determination. The problem is that if we are using not the right primers or primers that can be shared with other viruses from the same family, you can have false negative or false positive results. So the more specific you are with the primers, and this has been proven by the, ex- the ex- experiments done by the Pasteur Institute in France and the Koch Institute in Germany. If you amplify the number of primers that you use, then the probability of having false negatives or false positives gets reduced. And the ability of detecting the right coronavirus that we are looking for can be increased up to 90 95 percent, while using only three primers, like the initial tests that were recommended by the CDC in Atlanta, the the number of false positives could be around 20 to 25 percent. So the probability of doing a correct test was around 70 to 75. Increasingly, we are doing tests. We are doing in the lab, but as an experimental research and not as a clinical research we are doing a modifications of the primers in order to achieve the best combination of primers that can lead to the optimal results regarding sensitivity and specificity.
0: Thank you, thank you. Valuable information there. Dr. Lakshmi Narsima, on those lines, could you please comment on the testing process used at UC Davis?
1: At UC Davis, we initially started, similar to what Dr. Venter said, with the CDC primers. But since then, we have expanded to include additional primers on a test that uses the Roche 6,800 COVA unit. And with this unit, with use of additional primers, we've been able to achieve greater than 95% sensitivity and close to 99% specificity. I agree that having low sensitivity with some of the commercial tests has been an issue because having a false negative test will lead to propagation of the spread of this virus, and that has been a major concern. And I totally agree with Dr. Vento that having additional primers to improve the specificity and sensitivity of these tests is really vital. Thank you. In addition, I want to briefly comment on the serological essays that are being brought out, and I would like to hear both Dr. Vento and Dr. Travis Nato to give their impression. So the serological tests have been promoted not only to diagnose mothers and newborn babies, but also to understand if an individual has neutralizing antibodies and is immune to infection, and this could be vital for healthcare workers to attend deliveries and perform resuscitations. Has such an approach been used either in Spain or in Italy?
2: Not as far as I know, it hasn't been done. I mean, we are now approaching more serological tests. We have been moving around mostly with with PCR, but that's why now we are switching more to complement our results with the virus determination of serological determination because, well, after four or five days, people who are asymptomatic, if they have the virus, they start perhaps having positive IgM. So this is something that should be taken into account. And then also the the duration of the IGM curve, which coincides with the starting of the IgG, can give us the exact picture of the situation of the infectivity of this patient or of people who are working in the delivery room. So I think that this new approach is going to give us a better picture of what what is going on. I agree with Dr. Dani yeah, Trevisanuto that that we have to analyze what's going on not only with the mother and the child, but also with the personnel that is attending, because we also had one or two cases of the baby being infected by the midwife and not by the by the mother or the father. So. This is something that has to be considered because it's important that we keep the infection not to be transmitted.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Mento, Dr. Trevisanoto. Do you have any comments on this?
3: We are we are doing the same policy, like in Spain, we are moving to the serological uh, uh, examination of patients, at least the symptomatic patient or with mild symptomatic patient or patient who live with uh, with positive person. And uh, now in our hospital, in part of hospital, we are starting to consider also the serological uh, assessment also of the health caregivers. But we have not mm-hmm. started now, just for some studies. But for example, in our NICU, we have started looking at the serological study of the newborn, but it's not normal practice in this moment.
2: I would like to make a comment. Can I add something?
3: Sure, Dr. Uh, Hunter, please.
2: One of the issues, in, I think, in Italy and in Spain is that our women, when they have the first child, age of the mother is becoming older and older. You see that the first baby is, you know, mothers get pregnant and have their first baby when they reach ages like 33, 34, 35. And I wonder if in, in other countries, like especially in countries from Africa or, or Asia, where the women have many children and they have them very, very young when they are 18 or 19, if this 20 years of difference of age almost would make any difference in the vertical transmission. Because it happens always when you do research that you consider that what you are doing can be translated into every place in the world that can be globally accepted. And perhaps we are dealing with a, a special population, well-nourished population without previous infections that is over 30 years of age and they just have one or two child in their lives. And so I, I don't know if this, our, the lack of vertical transmission could also be correlated with the sociological and economical situation and the age of the mother having their first babies. I don't know if you have uh, any experience with, with uh, adolescent mothers or, or very, very young mothers.
1: That's a very interesting thought, Dr. Vento. The MMWR from the CDC, which tracks such data, will be tracking, hopefully tracking the age of the mothers and record this as well. I do want to counter with a point that even in China, in Wuhan, where the initial epidemic started, there are not many cases of vertical transmission being reported, except for three babies who showed IgM antibodies within the first 24 hours of life. And I assume, without additional knowledge, that the age of delivery in China is probably lower than that in Spain and Italy. But I totally agree with you that that findings that we are getting from selected countries where the literature is coming from right now may not be applicable to situations, especially in Asia and Africa.
0: Thank you very much for that insight. Are there any additional comments?
3: From uh, Dr. Trevisanuto. Uh, I agree. I like the idea of uh, Dr. Vento or the hypothesis. The problem is that in Africa, you have some connection with some uh, hospital in Africa. The problem is that uh, the social... The situation is completely different. I asked for for the protocol. If today I I have the contact with our colleagues in Uganda, local colleagues in Uganda, and they have uh, only a national protocol, but I read it, the guidelines and they are completely different from us. And so the triage does not exist, more or less does not exist. They have not the possibility to, to do the swabs despite they have a they have high negative, uh, very frequently negative, and so so I don't know how to explain, but probably the social situation is uh, more important than the maternal age. But is a is a nice uh, hypothesis that, for example, we could assess in US where the you have a wide range of age of the mothers probably.
0: Thank you, Dr. trevis To Dr. Lakshminarayana, you were saying something. So I wanted to ask both
1: Dr. Vento and Dr. Travis Nato, who have a lot of experience in this area, as to given the three options outlined in the article, which option are they predominantly pursuing and why? We can start with Dr. Vento. Option yeah. A being very restrictive and option C yeah, being...
2: Yeah, well, we always try. We always try to keep breastfeeding unless the mother is in a... Severe condition and needs oxygen or, or more mechanical ventilation, for example. If she is positive but she is in a good clinical condition and has only low fever, we would always try to have her breastfeed the, the baby. We haven't used the milk bank for term babies whose mother was positive because we feel that the milk that we have in the bank is more efficiently used for extremely preterm babies than for a term baby that can be in formula fed and given own mother's milk perhaps several days or a couple of weeks after so concluding our aim is always to keep baby and mother together only if the situation the clinical situation of the mother shows us that she is having a severe condition or she's going into uh, respiratory insufficiency, then we act separating both of them. And then we have either the father if he is negative or a nurse, as Dr. Trevisanuto said, in a special room until we are sure that the baby is not going to infect other people. But we, we try always to keep the, the bonding as much as we can. So we are in this regard, we are trying always to keep things as natural as possible. I don't know if I Uh, answered your question. Yes, perfectly, thank you.
3: What we did in, okay, Italian guidelines recommend to maintain the mother and the baby in the same room and to, to sustain breastfeeding. Of course, the mother, Needed the needed appropriated uh, cleaning activities before before uh, breastfeeding. But uh, to be honest, at the beginning, during the first week, where the infection arrived, there was uh, our colleagues in particular the, in the nursery were uh, afraid of this policy. And so, at the beginning, we separated for one week the the mother from the baby. But was uh, I don't know a reaction. Uh, panic reaction <laughs> after this week uh, we, we use the brain and we use the literature or the evidence or the guidelines guidelines from WHO, UNICEF uh, and so we this also Italian guidelines so we move to a more um, a, different, a different approach and so the mother stay with the baby in the same room. Thank you. So it looks
0: like all the options that were given there and some of them are you have different Permutations and combinations that can be used, which is illustrated very nicely in the table and as well as the illustration, Dr. Lakshmanasima. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Vento and Dr. Trivi mm-hmm. too, for sharing your experiences. Thank you, Dr. Lakshmanasima. I know this is a difficult time and thank you all for making time to discuss your experience with me. Thank you. Thank you. you. Thank, you. Thank, you.
2: thank you. That was the American Journal of Perinatology podcast. Thank you for listening. To find out more and to read this month's highlighted paper, go to www.tima.com forward slash AJP, or check out our Facebook and Twitter pages. If you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. And join us next time when we will discuss another paper from the pages of the American Journal of Baryonatology.